This podcast details true crime cases. It contains adult themes and may contain descriptions of violence. It is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me for today's episode of Once Upon a Crime. We're in the series Crimes on Campus, where I'm covering cases related to educational institutions. In this episode, I'll tell you about a case that received a lot of media coverage when it occurred due to the bizarre circumstances, the heinous nature of the crime, and the venue in which it occurred at a high school prom. Melissa Drexler was just 17 years old in 1997 and in her last year of high school. She was desperate to hide a teen pregnancy from her parents and friends and equally determined to attend her senior prom. When these two goals collided, it made for tragic results. This is the case of Melissa Drexler, a.k.a. Prom Mom. Note, this episode was originally released for Patreon members only. Melissa Drexler was a senior in high school. She attended Lacey Township High School in Forked River, New Jersey. She was the only child of a shipping clerk and a bank teller and lived in a pretty middle-class neighborhood right on the shoreline, a nice little quiet town where everybody knew one another. Melissa was said to be quiet, somewhat shy. She had friends, but she kept to a close-knit group of friends and wasn't a social butterfly. She loved fashion, and she had always aspired to work in the fashion industry. She mainly hung out with her friend Rebecca at her home and at the mall. Her and Rebecca had been friends since grade school. Melissa also worked at a retail store at the beach in the summertime. Like I said, she was quiet. She was friendly, but not in with the popular kids, but was well-liked and had a small group of friends. In the 10th grade, she was introduced to a boy named John Lewis, who was two years her senior. They began seeing each other and continued to date each other throughout high school. The routine for the couple was by Melissa's senior year that she would finish classes at 1 p.m. She would go to her boyfriend John's house and stay there and hang out with him until he left to work his job at Walmart around 8 p.m. and then she'd go home. She was always home by 10 p.m. even when the couple went out at night and her parents saw her every day. She was home for dinner every night. Melissa had no behavior problems, no reports of drugs, alcohol abuse, and was a fairly good student. In November 1996, Melissa told John that she had missed her period. She said she thought she was pregnant and she was worried. He mentioned this to a friend of his, but then a few days later told his friend that it had been a false alarm. As far as I know, she never told this to anybody else. None of her friends ever said that they believed that she had ever been pregnant or thought she was pregnant. But at this point, Melissa was pregnant. She had been pregnant since at least September or October of that year. So now we're going to fast forward to June 6, 1997. It was the night of Melissa's senior prom. Her and John drove to the prom with another couple. The prom was being held at the Garden Manor Inn in Aberdeen, which was about an hour's drive north of where Melissa lived. On the way to the prom, she told her friend she wasn't feeling well. She said she had cramps. The reality was Melissa was already over eight and a half months pregnant. Her water had broke that morning while she was at home, but she still prepared to go to the prom. 
When the couples reached the dance around 7.30 p.m., she immediately went into the bathroom. She was there for quite a while. Her friend came to the door after about 15 or 20 minutes to see if she was okay, and Melissa answered, quote, I'll be done pretty soon. Go tell the boys I'll be right out, unquote. Her friend then heard sounds like metal scraping against metal, and then she saw some blood on the floor of the stall, so she was concerned. Melissa appeared to be trying to wipe it away with her foot, like with her shoe. Melissa had delivered a baby in about 20 minutes in the bathroom stall upon arriving at the prom. The way that we understand it is that she went to the bathroom and basically delivered the baby into the toilet. At least that was her story. She then cut the umbilical cord on the metal waste can that was in the stall. And that was probably the metal on metal that the girl was hearing. Something having to do with that waste can. Melissa then wrapped the baby in a, a series of plastic garbage bags. And then after the coast was clear, came out of the bathroom stall into the bathroom itself and put that trash bag into the trash can inside the bathroom. She then returned to the dinner. There was a, a dinner going on at the time where the dance was. She ate a salad and then danced at least one dance with her boyfriend. In the meantime, this was a nice catering hall with like a really nice dining room and ballroom. So apparently this place had employed matrons to oversee the restrooms, you know, to restock things, to give people they needed towels or whatever. While the matron had gone into the restroom and seen this, she's about to clean it up. And then she put some soiled towels into a plastic bag in the bathroom trash can. And then it was full. So she went to take the trash bag out of that wastebasket and take it outside to dump it into the trash bin. On her way there, she noticed that this trash bag was very heavy. And so she was suspicious and she called over another worker, a male maintenance worker. He picked up the trash bag and also noticed that it was heavy, decided he was going to look inside. When he looked inside the trash bag, he saw another trash bag and inside of that, he opened it up, was the body of a baby. Paramedics were called and they arrived immediately, began trying to work to revive what was a full-term male baby. They worked on the baby for a good amount of time, but were unable to resuscitate him, and the baby was pronounced dead. Meanwhile, inside back in the prom... Worried, some of the girls who'd been with Melissa earlier and then heard about the bloody stall reported it to some teachers at the prom, teachers who came as chaperones or what have you. They said Melissa was in the bathroom. They found a lot of blood in the bathroom. We think something's wrong. A teacher then went to Melissa and questioned her about this, and she said that she had just experienced a heavy menstrual flow. So a few minutes after the teacher approached Melissa, the baby was discovered outside on the way to the trash dumpster. Once this discovery was made, the teachers approached Melissa again, and she admitted at that point that she had given birth. She was taken away, I believe, to another room because the authorities were on their way after this discovery was made, or maybe were already there. Her boyfriend at that time was sitting inside at the prom by himself at the table, waiting for his girlfriend to come back. The school principal came to him and told him, your girlfriend just had a baby. John was shocked and said that that couldn't be true. Well, like, what are you talking about? Melissa then was transferred to the hospital to be examined. 
her parents were called, and they also claimed no knowledge of their daughter being pregnant. Matter of fact, no one knew she was pregnant. Not family, not friends, not her best friend, not even her boyfriend knew. Some at first believed that maybe she hadn't known either. Her friend Rachel said they had gone to try prom dresses on not too long before, which she had already been eight months or so pregnant almost. Her friend's mother was there as well, and she said, you know, Melissa was trying on small sizes. She didn't look pregnant at all. Nothing made them suspect that she might be pregnant. Now, Melissa's not a big girl, but she's not a small girl. She's average size. She's about five foot seven, and at the time, she was about approximately 130 pounds. A lot of people would say somebody had to know. Somebody had to notice that this girl was pregnant, but a couple of things. You guys know how pregnancies run. Some people show right away. Some people don't show at all. And believe me, a very young girl may not show at all, especially if she's trying to hide it. Nobody's really paying attention, wearing big baggy sweatshirts. Also, the younger you are, the less likely sometimes you are to show a pregnancy. You know, I've had two children and the first one, I was very young when I had her and I was six months pregnant and was still wearing my regular clothes. And then I had my second baby years later, and, you know, at four months, I looked, or I felt at least, like a balloon. So, you know, the body, when you're young, is is pretty remarkable. So it's possible she didn't show that much. She obviously wasn't telling anybody about it. And other people would say her parents had to know. She lived in the house with them. You know, how did they not know? I would say that There are at least a couple of you out there who have stories about people that didn't tell anybody and nobody suspected, like even their own parents. I knew a person. I didn't know her when she was pregnant, but I knew her after and heard the story about how she lived home with her parents and was pregnant and didn't want to tell them. She was in high schooler, but she was young, like maybe 19, 18, 19, something like that. Didn't want to tell her parents. Maybe they were strict. I don't know. And they had no clue until the night she went into labor. So, of course, we know this is dangerous because you're not getting any prenatal care. You're not probably taking vitamins that you need. You're probably not taking all the precautions you need to have a healthy baby. But by all accounts, this baby looked to be born full term and healthy. But that will be the question here in just a minute. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The first indication we get of the condition of the baby 
was the autopsy. The medical examiner concluded that it was a full-term baby boy weighing six pounds. The medical examiner also established the cause of death as, quote, asphyxia due to manual strangulation and obstruction of the external airway orifices, unquote. He said he could not determine if the baby was dead or alive when placed in the bag, and this will continue to be the debate. Did the baby smother because it was put in the plastic bag, or did she smother the baby before putting it in the plastic bag in some way? The medical examiner, in his opinion, was certain that the baby was alive after birth. Melissa had told her boyfriend, who relayed this to a friend, that she, quote, had no idea, unquote, she was about to give birth. She told her boyfriend that she had gone to the bathroom as normal, was shocked when she basically pushed out a baby. The baby was born dead. She panicked and placed the body in a trash bag. She went further to explain basically why the baby was dead. She said the baby's umbilical cord was wrapped around the neck and the baby was born blue. This, the medical examiner, was not true at all. He believed that the baby had been born and was breathing because air had been found in the baby's lungs and intestines. Melissa Drexler was charged with murder, and the sentence carried a possible sentence of 30 years to life. She was released to her parents on a $50,000 bond. Now, about this time, the media got a hold of this story of an 18-year-old high schooler who went to the prom, delivered a baby in the bathroom, likely smothered it, put it in the trash can, and resumed enjoying the dance. She was dubbed by the media around the world in headlines as prom mom and was talked about all over um, the news programs and crime programs. Her family hired her defense attorneys. They also hired Dr. Michael Bodden to conduct a separate autopsy that was paid for, of course, by um, the defense. And you might have heard Dr. Michael Bodden. He's a pretty well-known pathologist. He has done examinations on lots of high-profile cases. They also hired a psychiatrist to do a mental evaluation and report on Melissa. Now, all of this stuff, of course, getting ready to go to court to build some kind of a defense for what she did. Dr. Bodden would say that the autopsy findings were ambiguous as to whether the baby was alive because of the resuscitation efforts performed on him. So when the paramedics came and, of course, they tried to revive the baby by giving oxygen and all of this, he said that's how there was air in the lungs and in the intestines. Now, is that possible? It's hard to say because it is such a tiny body. We're not talking about, you know, a full-grown human being where we have a lot, a lot more knowledge of how the body reacts in, you know, trauma or that kind of thing. So that was what one of the defense strategies they were going with, that the baby was dead, but the reason there was air and it seemed like the baby was alive because of the resuscitation efforts. They also said that the birth process alone could have caused additional changes that were found in the medical examination. They didn't quite go into detail on that. That was something that, again, they were putting out there before getting ready for trial. So overall, he said it was a difficult death to determine what had happened. Because the issue of the baby being born dead or alive would likely be bitterly contested in court, obviously they were throwing some resources behind this, getting some experts, getting some good defense attorneys. They knew that there was going to be a fight on their hands to get a conviction here. 
The prosecution also worried that Melissa would win acquittal on grounds of an extreme emotional disturbance defense. I mean, obviously, they could say, hey, this teenager never told anybody she was pregnant and delivered the baby at the prom. You know, she probably panicked. Then she basically would skate on the charges. Well, they didn't want that to happen because they did believe that she was culpable and she knew what she was doing. So the prosecutor decided to make a deal with Drexler in exchange for a guilty plea and also having to tell in court um, what exactly happened. And so this is what happened is she went ahead and took this guilty plea. So on October 29th, 1998, Melissa Drexler pled guilty to aggravated manslaughter. And this was her statement that she was required to make to give the details of the crime. Quote, I knew I was pregnant. I concealed the pregnancy from everyone. On the morning of the prom, my water broke. While I was in the car on the way to the prom, I began to have cramps. I went to the prom and went into the bathroom and delivered the baby. Okay, she doesn't say how. She doesn't give any details right there. She does say this, though. Quote, the baby was born alive. I knowingly took the baby out of the toilet and wrapped a series of garbage bags around the baby. I then placed the baby in another garbage bag, knotted it closed, and threw it in the trash can. I was aware of what I was doing at the time when I placed the baby in the bag, and I was further aware that what I did would most certainly result in the death of the baby, unquote. So she had to cop to that to take the plea. She couldn't say, I did it, but it was an accident or any of that. They weren't going to give her a, a deal for that. She didn't admit to manually strangling the baby. And this is the question. This is what the prosecutor was going to contend because the medical examiner, the first one, said that there was marks on the baby's neck. Again, it was going to be difficult to prove exactly what happened. It was implied, I think, by her statement that the baby had suffocated in the trash bag, although she didn't exactly say that. Either way, it was her actions that caused the death of the baby, which is what they needed to hear from her. Here's my thought about this. I do believe that she suffocated the baby before putting it in the trash bag. And the reason why I think that is because it was either strangled or smothered right upon giving birth to the baby because nobody heard a, the baby cry. You know, a newborn cries, it's loud. <laughs> okay. And you got to remember, she had friends standing outside, coming to the door, knocking, hey, are you okay? She didn't want anybody to know that she had been pregnant. She didn't want anybody to know that she had a baby. And so she was going to do whatever she had to do to make sure nobody knew she had to silence the baby. She wouldn't want anybody to hear anything. So I think she did it immediately. One of the questions that they had was if the baby was born into the toilet, there was a baby had drowned, but I don't believe there was any water in the lungs. So I don't think that's true. So she pled to the manslaughter charge and got a 15-year sentence. Um, normally, she would have had to have served at least five years before being eligible for parole. But good behavior would like double so many days for every day you're there. I think it's two days for every day you're there. It knocks some of that time off of your sentence. So it knocks the sentence down. She actually was released in November of 2001 after serving just three years. 
while she was serving prison, she got her high school diploma. She didn't attend a graduation ceremony they had there. She took fashion courses, I believe by correspondence course while she was there. And like I said, she was released after serving just just about three years. At that point, she returned home. She was 23 years old. She went to back home to live with her parents. Here's the other thing. If the baby's death had happened three days later, Melissa Drexler would have been sentenced under a new state law that would require people sentenced to serve time for a crime to serve at least 80% of their sentence before becoming eligible for parole. So she would have had to serve about 12 years instead of less than three. One thing we know is she'll forever be known as prom mom. Her parents did have the baby buried. She later, before he was buried, named him Christopher. So today, it's over 20 years later, she is now married. She has two children. Christopher, her baby, who never got to live, would be turning just 26 years old this June. So what do we think about prom mom? Was she scared? Was she in denial? Was she mentally ill? Friends said that her family life was very good. Her parents were very loving and supportive, and they believed that they would have helped her if she would have told them what was going on. We know that teens are secretive, but this is going beyond the pale. And the fact that she didn't even tell her boyfriend makes me wonder. Now, I do know that the family was Catholic, but they weren't really practicing Catholics. They were members of a Catholic church, but they said they really didn't attend very often. So it's possible that there might have been a religious thing in the back of her mind that, you know, this is a sin or or that kind of thing. But, you know, it, it, that's kind of a hard sell, I think, because they weren't really that religious. I, I guess the way that the media spun the story was, you know, she wanted to go to the prom. Now, she really must have wanted to go to this prom. If you're Water breaks in the morning. You know, by all accounts, this wasn't a stupid girl. Like, she knew what was going on. She knew she was pregnant. She knew she was getting to the point where she was going to give birth. But there was absolutely no plan of what she was going to do. Not even at the very last moment. What am I going to do? Like, okay, that morning my water breaks. You go to the doctor. But it was prom night. And that was the way the public took it was she wanted to go to prom. I think there might have been some of that, but I think there was also a lot of fear. I think that one of the things that the defense was going to contend in court was that she was mentally ill as far as the situation. Like she was in such such deep denial that this was happening to her that it didn't really register. And so when it did happen, she panicked and this is what happened. One of the things people talked about was her demeanor whenever she was in court She spoke very softly, very monotone. She didn't show much emotion at all. There was one emotional kind of outburst of her where she was crying was when she was first remanded to jail um, when she was arrested on that first hearing. But other than that, she seemed very even keel. Now, she could have been medicated, so that would give her that flat effect. Maybe, you know, she was stressed out or depressed or anxious because everything is going on and she was being medicated. It's possible. So it's possible she came across that way. 
Or maybe she's one of these people who can just shut down and uh, live her life as if nothing bad is happening. As far as her relationship with her parents, I heard it was good. People said she was very close to her mom, talked to her mom about, about everything. So it wasn't one of those things like, I can never tell my mom anything. I can't talk to her. At least from other people's reports was that she was very close to her mom and they shared everything. So she didn't take any of the options that would have been available to her to make sure that this baby could have had a chance, um, which is, I think, the real crime. And three years doesn't quite seem like a fitting sentence unless you can prove some real mitigating circumstances, which I don't see a whole lot of here. At least that wasn't put on the table for the sentencing. So she got lucky as far as the sentencing guidelines at that time and got out uh, early. I think she would have served most of her 15 years, if not, because the uh, public was very up in arms about this case. It was just, it seemed like it was such a, a huge tragedy and uh, something that would, could have been completely avoidable. That will do it for this episode of Once Upon a Crime. Join us next week for the last chapter in the series, Crimes on Campus. In that episode, I'll share a true crime story that took place on an elite university campus and would become a catalyst for the Me Too movement and justice for rape victims. I hope you'll join me then to hear about this controversial and important case. Once Upon a Crime is written, produced, and edited by me, Esther Ludlow. My research and production assistant is Lorena Garcia. Check out our website, truecrimepodcast.com, to find links to all our social media accounts, as well as our Patreon page, where you can join to get ad-free and early release episodes, as well as bonus content. Thanks so much for your support of the show. Until next time, be good to one another.